Union of the Unknowns, a podcast dedicated to the exploration of modern culture, presents a weekly digest of current events that may have slipped past your radar. This is not your mama's news. Hey, uh, welcome to another episode of Not Your Mama's News, starring me, Keelthor. And I got a couple hey. lovely ladies with me tonight. There's Ashley and Hello. Stella. Hi, everyone. Everybody doing great tonight? Doing well. Happy to have you back, Keel. Happy to have you as our host. How are you? Yeah. Yeah, I was under the weather last week. You guys do not yeah. want to hear the details. <laughs> no. But I've come back stronger than ever. So we've got a small crew tonight, but uh, we'll start off with Ashley. What do you have for us? All right. So in my news, I think that it ties in a couple of potential topics for us to, as Monica Perez would say, what to watch out for. So number one is that we see or are seeing layoffs take place in the big tech sphere. So today, Mark Zuckerberg of the Emeta company sent out an email that they were going to be laying off something like 11,000 employees from Meta, which seems extremely significant to me. Um, and there's, of course, some people that are discussing the fact that he sort of threw all in on the metaverse, you know, the VR Oculus, and it was kind of a dud. Um, and I think that that is possible. But the other thing that I, I think that these could sort of be the canary in the coal mine, as it were, because also um, last week, Elon Musk ended up laying off, I feel like it was 3,500 Twitter employees. Now, of course, that was also done under the guise of like, oh, I'm cool, Elon, I'm here, I'm like changing Twitter and stuff, guys. But I think that it may be more significant than that. And so I do think that it's something to keep our eye on because I think that we have some changes that are going to be happening in the big tech sphere, not only with from a censorship perspective and, you know, continued regulating, probably like, I think they're always trying to hammer uh, or to create instances that would allow them to just crack down and regulate platforms. And then I think the other aspect of that is that we are headed, we are in a recession and I personally feel that it's going to be much worse than that. And so I think that these layoffs are significant and kind of important to watch out for at this time. I have a question. Well, yeah, go for it, Q. When he, when he laid these people off, were they in the metaverse when he was doing it? <laughs> Probably they all have their VR things on and he just zaps them with his ray gun. That my guess is that's exactly what happened. That they were required okay, okay. to be participating in the metaverse, and uh that's how you work, and that's how you get laid off from the zuck. That makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. You can't and really you run away, can you? Because you got no legs in the metaverse yet. Exactly. You just have to roll out the door. 
And he did say, um, you know, something to the effect that he apologized that he, quote, got it wrong. So. Got what wrong? Oh, that he employed too many people? Um, I think it was the fact that he went all in on the metaverse, that they spent so much money sort of creating the metaverse and it didn't really take off. But, you know, in my looking at the situation, I don't know. I just, I'm not saying that it's curated, but I'm also saying that we know that they want to sort of move more towards that that space. So I wouldn't be surprised if this was something like, oh, well, this didn't, this didn't work out, but then we come back like the new improved metaverse and some other, you know, I don't know, enhancing features or better graphics or something. I just feel like just feels like a little bit of a setup to me. I don't know. Yeah. And what comes to my mind without knowing anything much about it at all is uh, what usually follows people being laid off is automation. So are we going to get a very botty universe full of bodies? Um, Yeah. That's just what comes uh, metaverse. I didn't mean universe. Uh, That's just what comes to mind straight away. Yeah. And I think, you know, we're seeing a push for coding and things like that. I do think that that's maybe the the ultimate goal. I don't know, you know, how, how effective, I'm just not that educated on it. Like how effective a bot could be in regards to creating, maintaining sort of the metaverse. Um, But I definitely feel like something's up. Uh, I did read a little real quick thing on this. Sorry, Kills. Just last one last thing. Um, I read a real quick thing on this and I think I remember it that this 11,000 was about 10% of the workforce for the metaverse. Was that about, did Mm -hmm. you read that? I feel like um, it's probably worth, I should have done a refresher on that, but I do feel like it's a fairly significant portion of the Facebook staff. Yes. I was just wondering whether there's going to be some outsourcing because you always need coders. And yes, as you say, they're, they're really pushing the coding thing, like the little, little, little kids are starting to learn coding at school, et cetera. So that's just a whole generation of coders coming up. I mean, yeah. a lot of coders can do a lot of work. I mean, a few coders can do a lot of work. So, yeah. I don't know. What do you reckon, yeah. Uh I'm a coder. I code every day. I was coding <clears throat> this afternoon, as a matter of fact. Mm-hmm. Not for the metaverse or anything like that. But uh, I don't know. I I don't. Uh, maybe this is just a, a business cycle, just a reflection of the you know the kind of dip in the economy right now. I'm not sure if it's extremely significant or not. I remember a couple of years ago, maybe there was an he was in the news. Zuckerberg was in the news that he lost tens of billions of dollars in a day or something. It was like the greatest. You know, and uh, my my company, the company I work for is a, is owned by a larger corporation, and that corporation had to lay off a lot of people uh, last week or last month, I think. So, and uh, I, I don't know, maybe maybe it's just another business cycle. Well, I. I do think it is part of a cycle for sure, sort of this boom bust cycle that in my opinion is 
deliberately created because we create the bubble. And then what happens whenever in this situation, um, when that bubble bursts, for example, like the real estate situation that's happening right now. So if, if we really are in a recession and people are not buying homes, they raise interest rates, things like that, then I feel like that means that we are soon going to be finding a lot more people getting laid off. And I think that it gives an opportunity to serve a couple of what they seem to be after. So if you have a huge, you know, let's say this goes beyond a recession, which I think that it will, then you will have a lot of people that are going to need to be on unemployment, you know, from a big government perspective, right? I don't agree with that, but you know what I mean? So that would serve the UBI purpose and increase government dependency. And it also is going to bring the value of homes down because that market is not where it was anymore. It's going to be really, you know, it's slow. I know people that are saying that are loan officers who were unbelievably busy at the height of this. And now they had like one mortgage booked for October and interest rates have even increased since then. So I feel like this gives the other, um, you know, the predator class a chance to really swoop in, scoop up this real estate at rock bottom prices and continue their goal of renting out residential homes as opposed to, you know, ownership being widely available to a lot of people. So I feel like it's going to serve those purposes. So I do think the boom bust cycle is intentional, but I also think that this one is probably going to be worse than what we have seen maybe in a very, very long time, maybe ever. Um, And that is at least in my line of thinking, that is why, and I've seen other companies starting to lay off too. So that's why I think that Facebook and Twitter layoffs could be as I as said earlier, the canary in the coal mine for kind of what is to come, because I do anticipate other businesses starting to lay off too. And the the weird thing about it is that it, in the United States, it wasn't long ago that places were desperate for employees. They could not get enough employees and help wanted signs were everywhere. And now we're seeing a situation where people are, companies are starting to lay off that seems very significant to me. That is significant. That is quite a turnaround. Yeah. But have we have we seen that those layoffs happen in like the food service sector that we saw the help wanted signs for? Or is Not- that coming? Is are you saying that's what's coming? Correct. That's what I think that these are sort of harbingers for, um, you know, that will begin to trickle down to the smaller local businesses because um, so we have those two layoffs that happened in the big tech sphere, but we also have had some other companies doing layoffs to, I believe Ford laid off about 8,000 people, not all that long ago. And then we have, um, was it? There was another company that had a pretty decent layoff that seemed, oh, it was Wayfair. Um, So I just feel like these, yes, are market indicators of kind of where we're headed. And then I also had a conversation with somebody who works for um, a Fortune 100 company, and they told me that 
they're, you know, normally in your month to month planning in manufacturing that you will, you know, you'll have sales goals and that is going to be based on like the best guess of what we have going on. And those sales goals were recently cut for a lot of plants too. So I do kind of feel like we're headed into a slowdown situation. So then the question is, how do we as prognosticators take advantage of the situation and make a bunch of money off of it? Mm-hmm. Never let a good crisis go to waste, hey? Definitely. Hey, if they can use that tactic, so can we. <laughs> I do. I do think there is opportunity to be had here for sure. And maybe especially for people that are, who know coding. Um, I do think that there are a lot of people, whether they know it or not, that are interested, they kind of see the writing on the wall. And I think that they're interested in operating outside of, you know, the everyday society. So it, it is an opportunity to set up counter markets. I do really believe that. And then um, the other thing is that I think we're going to need those. It will be a necessity for us to be able to have workarounds to big tech censorship and coming down the pipe, the central bank digital currency, you know, because they're tracking every dime that you spend and that's coming. There is no avoiding that. There is no holding that off. It's coming. So there will be need for um, developing the workarounds and there's a ton of opportunity. Now, are you, did the article, article information you got, did it say specifically that the people let go were developers? Or was it just? No, it just general Facebook employees. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it could have been um, fat getting cut. I mean, which will happen when you're headed into a recessionary environment for sure. It could have been, you know, low performers, all of that stuff. It's hard to tell. And maybe in the days to come, we'll have a little bit more information on exactly who was let go. Yeah, well, the whole, um, what you were talking about before about the whole buy up buying the real estate and you know the ripple effect of all this that i mean that is the plan isn't it so Mm -hmm. it kind of makes sense that well these are the steps they're taking and these big huge companies are going to be the ones that are you know they've got their heads up before any of the little business dudes do so i guess you know what they do is a fairly good as you say a fairly good harbinger of what's to come so yeah i mean put two and two together what do you get (laughs) Right. They'll say one thing, but we say four. (laughs) Well, and the other thing that I think about in this situation is that we know, I talk about it all the time, but the predator class and who I consider part of that predator class would be um, Klaus Schwab and his ilk. And we know that they have a goal of a great reset. And we know that they have a goal. uh, They put out an article in 2016 that said, you'll, it's 2030. I own nothing and I've I have no privacy. I have no privacy. And I've never happy. been happier. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, and I'm not saying that it's a done deal that they will succeed. And I feel like there's a big component of humanity that these people are missing. Sure. They have a ton of data that they have been mining from us ever since the internet was created. However, they, they still, I don't know that they fully understand And I would, I would argue that they do not understand the human spirit. So I think they're missing a big part of that, but they think 
that they can manage that and that they think that they will be able to create their goals based on the data that they have stolen from us. And then my question goes like, okay, we're in 2022, headed to 2023. The goal is 2030. So how do you get there? How do you get to own nothing? Well, let's start by most people not having a job. Yeah. Yeah, I've often wondered how they're going to, how are they going to approach that thing of we own nothing? Like, What's going to happen to all that stuff? <laughs> like Great on the question. practical level. Um, yeah. Yep. I've wondered that too. And I, I wonder, you know, some of the stuff that I have thought about is, okay, so there will be a gradual play of buying up the homes, you know, so the crunch will be on private property. So maybe like our generation or people that already own a home, maybe you will still have it, but they're going to continue to to turn the screws. So each generation, it will be increasingly harder to purchase a home. There'll be less homes available, that kind of yeah, thing. Exactly. That's, yeah. that's my guess is that it just will be generational. And um, yeah, and maybe another way of not owning anything is because there's, you know, we, we have seen artificial shortages be being created essentially like they're creating a diesel shortage right now they are creating food shortages right now as we speak so when you have your fingers and all of the pies and you have all of the money because you have stolen it from the back of the working man and you have all of the data and you have all of the politicians then it's much easier to create these manufactured crisis crises but anyway, it's a lot easier to create all those things and continue putting the squeeze on people of like, okay, well, you had a lot of stuff, but now that you're, you can't buy more stuff because there's no stuff. There is no, there's nothing for you to do. Um, there's no food. There's no this, there's no that. So, but what will be your lifeline is the government giving you UBI and giving you, you know, your box of lab meat or whatever whatever bugs. your GMO corn and your bugs yeah <laughs> yeah I think right, so uh, what you said idea. earlier oh sorry let's go no no I got a goofy uh thing to say but you go ahead first you're sounding goofy, more serious goofy's good <laughs> I was just gonna well yeah it is um uh, what you were saying before about how they're going to so, so control us I guess what came to my mind was was breaking in a horse they're going to break in us they're going to break our spirit i mean it's fairly obvious that's what they're doing they're trying to break us so that we're just walking around you know zombified going holding out our hand for it just like brave new world but you know so that's that's where we yeah we have to be strong we have to keep our backbones strong yeah definitely it's just a, just a thought that came to mind yeah and going back so to uh, yeah, yeah, the Soma. Yeah. <laughs> um, and going back to that, you know, we talk about it all the time. I know I do that we are in a real deal spiritual war. So I feel like whenever you have something that matters more or that there, or if you have a belief, like in my case, Christianity, that you believe in God, you believe that this earth, this earthly life just is not 
it, um, you know, it, it helps me because I feel like we are in spiritual warfare on this planet. And part of standing up to the predator class is to say like, you are, you will not break me. You will not, um, make me start buying into what you're selling. You will not do it. And you will not sway me from, you know, my fundamental beliefs, of whatever. And I, and I have the understanding that suffering may be part of that, but I'm willing to do it because I will not concede to you. Right on. Amen. That's a good attitude to have. Uh, my comment I was going to make was, so an idea, and it seems obvious to me now, but maybe I'm missing something. But if if you own a home right now, that probably means you have a, a very inflated amount of equity. And you're probably getting letters from your mortgage company saying, hey, you could, you could get a, a this much cash in a home equity loan right now. Well, maybe that's not a bad idea. If you get that much money out and just kind of hang on to it and then wait until the collapse, every, all the, the uh, real estate prices become depressed again because there's layoffs and eventually, you know, like you're saying, it's, it's going to happen or, you know, that you've got all this extra, this cash that's sitting there. Wait till the real estate prices drop you won't have as much equity anymore, but you'll have this cash. You can buy up one of those properties that would otherwise get swept up by one of the banks. And then you could rent that house and you could do what the banks are doing. Take advantage of the situation. Maybe. Yeah, I definitely think I like the, um, you know, the creative thinking about how to use a situation to get ahead for yourself. Um, I'm going you know, I think there's a lot of factors to be considered depending on when you bought the house. Like if you bought it at peak bubble, then that could yeah. be problematic for you. And I, you know, but a lot of those folks were at least able to, they maybe bought the house at peak bubble, but they did buy it at a very low interest rate. So I do think you have a lot of factors that could work in favor of people doing that. Now, one thing that I had heard recently is that a lot of people were totally maxed out in their credit cards and things like that. So I think a lot of these, it's yeah, just yeah, going to be bad. a lot of factors that are going to go into it. But I, I like what you're thinking, Keel, because I do think that, um, you know, if you do have some extra cash, something like that will be possible. And it is, it is possible that they will create another boom bust cycle. Now, do we know if that's going to be done in central bank digital currency or not? I don't know. But I, what I think is that most people are going to have to, if you want to deal outside of the central bank digital currency, that you also are going to have to deal inside of that as well. Um, I don't know that it's going to be possible to totally get around it, but it will be good for you to have, you know, other options, and so I like the creative thinking. So in, in order for that central bank uh, digital currency stuff to go into effect, doesn't that require an act of Congress? Like, isn't that a big deal to do that? Um, I would have thought, I, I, but it was also supposed to require an act of Congress to be in war, 
which they don't care about. They don't listen to. And we're supposed to have amendments um, that keep you from being locked down, that keep you from being able to, uh, for the government to tell you that you can't go outside and, you know, freedom of assembly and all that stuff. And it doesn't seem to matter very much. Won't they just create some bullshit emergency order and <laughs> do whatever uh, they want maybe. again? But they they would have would be a a new institution that if it if it weren't financial, maybe the you know the executive branch could just like you know Homeland Security uh, W just kind of poof made that come into existence. Right. But I don't right. I don't think the the talk that I'm hearing about central bank digital currency is all very um, uh, alarmist and oh my gosh this is going to happen and yada 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 but I don't hear that talk coming from politicians or maybe I'm not listening to the right parts yeah but I, I it's would gonna, say it's gonna it's gonna need a lot more work than just oh yeah we'll have a new central bank here with digital currency poof you know I think it's gonna it's going to need more than just that to happen. Right. And I, um, I, I think that's a fair point. So my understanding is that the white paper has been written for the United States central bank digital currency, which is, I believe considered or under the title project Hamilton. And so there are some overlaps with other, um, cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin, but there's a lot that is different. And I, this is what I think is that they're going to slowly roll it out in different places. So I was reading an article recently that I believe it was Nigeria had central bank digital currency that was rolled out. So they likely, my guess is that they will do it and still have cash. So they will do it and then they will massage adoption, right? Or, um, I forget what Monica said, but basically they will herd you into adoption. So first, like my guess, based on what I've seen in other uh, places so far, is that people don't really take to it. Some people do, but overall, it's not that successful. And then some people mm-hmm. online will see it as a win. But my thing is like what you're, what you are not considering here is that they are creating situations. So as they do that, they will put the squeeze on you. And if let's say if you have a huge percent of the United States or Australia or whatever that happens to need government assistance, which is very likely coming up, they'll say, well, you can receive your unemployment benefits or your food stamps or both or whatever in the form of central bank digital currency. So I think that they will roll it out that way. And then they will begin the process of hurting people into using it. And very gradually, or maybe not very gradually, but gradually, they will then phase out cash. And then that's when I believe you really will begin seeing that uh, totalitarian, you know, cranking even more than what we live in now. And this will be like, okay, well, you, you do this behavior, or you don't get your UBI in your central bank digital currency. That makes sense. I can see that. I think it's probably going to be a little, well, if it does happen 100%, it's probably going to be a lot more gradual than 
we've been given the impression of, let's say, you know, we keep hearing by 2030 and all these, you know, deadlines and this is going to happen then. It's like it's going to overnight, suddenly we'll wake up to this. It's not going to happen that way, is it? Because it's just not possible right. not to be discussing. It's it's going to be generational. And I mean, I remember when I was reading about the high-speed rail that's going here on the east coast of Australia, um, they were projecting those figures based on, you know, populations of 2075, you know. I mean, this is long-term stuff. It's it's sort of not long-term because they have been planning, like the big plan has been going on for real centuries, really. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. A couple of generations, I think they consider one generation 15 years from memory. It's not very old. Um, it doesn't take long to distort two or three generations, does it? And then suddenly there's a generation. I mean, look at us now. We lived before the internet. We remember what the world was like before the internet. Our kids and their kids, they, they will have no idea that there was a world before the internet. They They'll probably just think it was there since Adam and Eve came and landed on the planet, you know. Mm-hmm. They brought the internet with them. <laughs> yeah. I was talking to my coworker today about uh, the, uh, television. Like the, the act of watching television is completely changed as it was when I was a kid. Oh, we yeah. Don't, we don't even have, like, televisions probably don't aren't even in most young people's apartments anymore they just have phones and screens and you know well i guess maybe they've got the roku stuff you know uh but they've got uh, the smart TV. tvs yeah i got the smart tvs but it's it's so it's so i, I don't know how to describe it like you, you used to watch you'd have to catch a tv show when it aired and you were <laughs> You couldn't, all you, the best you could do to interact with your, you know, video television entertainment is to change the channel. That was it. All you could you do was get up to channel. do that. Yeah. And yeah. And the older TVs even have television remotes and, uh, and then VCRs came along. So, oh, wow, cool. I can go down the street and get a tape, a VHS tape and rent that. And then I can watch this one movie over and over again until I had to return the thing. <laughs> and it's like, it was, a, I mean, and it was like that until, you know, 10 years ago or something. Yeah, and well, that was an experience crazy. in itself, was just going to choose a video. That that was an, a family event sometimes, I suppose. Yeah, it was. It was, um, you know, cruising, getting in the car. Come on, kids, get in the car. Yeah. You know, you probably grab some KFC on the way home, something like that, or a pizza. Yeah, it wasn't a family bet, event, I, and you know, you, you'd scuffle in the shop about who was going to watch what, and yeah, it was it was fun. And oh, <laughs> and the other thing that he reminded me of, I forgot about, was you'd your your brother would be watching something on the TV in the living room, and you'd get angry because you wanted to watch something else. So then your parents would say, "Well, go, you're going to have to go watch it on the other TV upstairs." Like yeah. that was a thing, you know. Yeah. You had to go. You couldn't. You couldn't. You had to fight over the TV, who has control of the TV. And then if not, you had to go watch the smaller, not as good TV in a yeah, different room. <laughs> yeah. If you had a second one. <laughs> yeah, these are these are just things that kids will never ever experience. And it's, and, and, oh, it's and not trip, a bad trip, thing. <laughs> but tripping over the uh, just, VHS remote control wires. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the other thing is that if you didn't get if there was a movie that was dropping that you really wanted to see, 
if you didn't get to the movie store in enough time, then you're screwed. You're waiting like uh, well, at the very least until next week or two or yeah. three days later or whatever to try to get that movie that you want to see because they only had, you know, certain number of copies of that <laughs> of that movie. Right. So yeah. That's ridiculous. <laughs> All right. Well, I've got I've got another story that's kind of related to the, the last one. It uh, has to do with uh okay, so the guy that invented the oculus uh vr headset right he he sold his his device to facebook now meta uh well this guy he's still doing his thing he's he's still creating new uh vr gear he made a new one he called nerve gear and it's got a very revolutionary new um attribute to it <laughs> it has a module with these kind of three little sensors on the front uh, that when you uh, are killed in a game, they detonate an explosive device that, sh that blows into your brain and kills you in real life. <laughs> that sounds good. Awesome. He has actually created this thing. I mean, it is a real device, unless... The story is just bunk and people are just reporting it because it's, and it hasn't come out yet that he was just making it up, but he has actually invented this thing and created like a prototype and he's still trying to work out some of the details, but the, that alone is ridiculous. But then what really gets me is the casual nature of the interview he was having in this article. And he's just sitting there talking about, you know, oh yeah, and I've been working on this for a while, and you know, there's really not a sense of of uh, danger in games today. I think this would make a new layer, a new element of fun and adventure, and blah blah blah. <laughs> and I'm shaking my head. I'm like, what are you doing, man? <laughs> so, are you talking uh, about that it it actually kills you, or it feels yes. like it gives you a sensation of a, no? It actually kills it, you. It fires an explosion into your into your skull. So we've got I a scanner's the... situation almost. Almost. I mean, it is insane. I don't. I it's a great a marketing ploy. If there's a new op Oculus, I was going to say octopus. If there's a new Let's Oculus or whatever coming out, it's a fantastic marketing campaign, isn't it? It is. It's press. I had seen. He, he may just be uh, pulling our legs here, but let's see if I can get a good picture. Yeah, you that's can, what it looks like. You can see that. You can kind of see it. Oh, there we go. Yeah, so that's perfect. So for um, three, if you're just it listening, fires three ex explosive rounds in your head. Yeah, if you're just listening, it's like a VR headset so you put on your head, and there's a, a a part that covers up your forehead, but protruding from that forehead are three like look like, you know, unicorn horns, and each one has an explosive round inside of it that shoots inward when you die in the game. So and you put I, this on voluntarily. I apparently he expects people to do that. Well, and he was talking about it like he's going to mass produce this thing. That's that's totally insane. I I had seen a couple of blips and I was hoping that that was like 
It's like the meme from Star Wars where Anakin and uh, the gal that he marries and she's like, it's, that's a joke, right? Right? Oh, yeah. When he's um, saying he's going to force everybody to do what he wants. Yes. Um, so that's very concerning to me. And then, of course, the first thing that goes to my mind is like, how is the military industrial complex going to um, abuse that technology <laughs> and how will it be used against us? And and I would also throw in that there's no way I buy that this guy's like, oh, well, I, I just thought this would be funny. <laughs> no, I think this he's probably the- being bankrolled by, you know, DARPA or CIA or, you know, something like that maybe it's a uh just part of a research strategy to try to develop a device that you could sell to someone you want to assassinate and they put it on they don't know that the explosive thing is in there and then you can wait until you sense that person is playing the game and then you just pop them yeah right? or wait until you have your brain chip and as soon as you have wrong think pop them there you go uh, well, this is another thing the guy, the guy was, was saying, he called it, but it's called nerve gear, but he, in the article, he's referring to it as quote, a piece of office art and a thought provoking reminder of unexplored avenues in game design. So he's saying that, no, I don't expect this to actually be used. It's really just an art piece but he's going to make it and sell it and it's a usable thing. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like, um, our gain of function research is just so that we can, you know, dot, dot, dot. There you go. Um, but I do remember not long ago, there was, uh, and I don't know if it was actually Oculus. It may have been, but one of those headsets had been created that had tiny, tiny little holes in it in different places that, gave it like for instance if there was a kiss on screen um Mm -hmm. it would it would give out tiny little air pressure things on your lips so you sort of like a sensor sensor what was it called sense around those movies remember them um Mm -hmm. where you'd be in the theaters i'm too old you'd be in the theaters (laughs) and um the (laughs) soundtrack and everything would be so rumbly in the bass that you it was Mm -hmm. called sense around it was like you'd really cool so yeah, this Oculus they, thing they, was a, sen- a sensor Oculus type thing. They did have things like that here in America. I don't think yeah, it was right. called that. I don't think that okay. we would have had anything you guys didn't. But yeah, um, yeah so and, this and Oculus headset's already sort of around that gives off this these sensations. So that's what I thought you were talking about. Was like, you know, you feel a bullet, no, a thing in your forehead. Oh, it actually, it actually blows your head <laughs> in. <laughs> awesome. So they're disposable. one time use only (laughs) so crazy it's so crazy it's just you know it's all so crazy all the time it's easy to become desensitized Mm but a vr that that blows yes um but come on i think it's desensitizing us to technology that may slip through that will because of all this crazy crap we'll just end up just shaking our heads to everything and it'll be like then they'll slip something through that sounds really crazy but it's real yeah. and it'll just get through because we'll just go oh yeah right i don't yeah. know that could be a ploy mm-hmm. who knows i think who knows what's I in their the crazy to, heads yeah uh the effort to desensitize people i think 
ultimately backfires because if you're desensitized to alarmist crap and whatever and violence and whatever, I think it gives you a a, a new perspective where you can you can gauge things that are actual threats. I think you can kind of see through that kind of bullshit a little better to a certain degree. If if you have the right kind of mind, I think desensitization helps because it you're not shocked by things so much. It gives you a bit of a, a little bit of clarity in my yeah, opinion. Yeah, but they easily get around that by just coming along and going, you know, something out of the blue, like the lockdowns, I guess. I mean, de desensitization is fairly useless when they, they just come along with something really big and just go boom, you know? Well, I guess if you're desensitized to government overreach, then, I mean, they, they can just keep doing it more and more and you won't be bothered by it. But that's what all that's, those meetings are about, I, isn't it? To find ways. Yeah, I guess. I've been watching government overreach my whole life, and I haven't been desensitized to it. It still makes my blood boil. It, it makes me my blood boil more every time I see it. But I think most people are not, you know, they're not encouraged. I'm not saying they're not capable, but they're not encouraged to be a critical thinker, and they don't, it's not on their radar to be a critical thinker, and people are inundated with real-life problems. So I mm -hmm. think that using your brain to kind of see what they're up to is not that common. And I think that, you know, like we had talked about sort of the demoralization campaign that's been taking place in, in the West. Um, I believe that, you know, people just, it's the slowly boiling frog, right? Um, it continues to happen. So they just don't even realize it. They are sold so many of these propaganda narratives, like it's for my safety, my safety, my safety, you know, whatever. And because they have been just cranked on their entire life, they just accept that. All right. Yeah, uh, Stella, do you have a, a story for us? Yes, uh, so a little, little something is, to chew on. Yeah, this is a little bit off the subject of technology, I guess. Um, something that's fairly near and dear to my heart. Being a, an ex resident of Tasmania and um, a lover of nature, mm -hmm. uh, there was a story that caught my eye about two or three days ago. Um, there's a gentleman called Bob Brown here in Australia. He's a Tasmanian. Manian guy who um, he's quite famous for running um, protests, uh, 1983 I think it was, that uh, stopped the damming of the Franklin River. I don't know whether that rings any bells for you guys. It was very well known around the world. Anyway, um, he's an environmentalist. Um, he managed to successfully stop, him and his campaign managed to successfully stop the damming of the Franklin River, which is on the west coast of Tasmania. Um, he was actually put in jail. Um, there was, was it 600 protests, um, 1,500 people arrested, 600 jailed. <laughs> um, he himself spent time in jail, and after his release, he was then elected as the first Green into Tasmanian's parliament. <laughs> so um, he was sort of, yeah, it was sort of the beginning of the Green movement, really. So he's, he's been around for a long time. 
Um, he is no longer in Parliament. He was in there for about 10 years. Anyway, the reason I'm just telling you, I'm just giving you a bit of background on him. He recently was trying to meet with our environmental minister, Tanya Plibersek, her name is. Uh, she went down to the area, which is the northwest of Tasmania, uh, the Tarkine rainforest. Uh, this place has been targeted pretty much, well, the whole, <laughs> many rainforests in Tasmania have been targeted, logging, mining. There's been a mine in there that's been going for about 85 years. And currently um, this mine, which is Chinese owned, um, are trying to get federal permission to have a tailings pond, a tailings catchment, what are they called? Yeah, it, it's, it's, a, it's a great big area that basically all the waste from the mining gets pulled into so this stuff's like really toxic yeah yeah slag pit i guess you'd call it um it's a tailings holding dam so yeah all the heavy metals that are coming off the mining which they're horrible things like um cyanide mercury arsenic they all get um directed into these tailing dams which can be quite large and uh, built higher and higher as it's needed um, and they just sort of sit there and the stuff falls to the bottom into the sludge and sometimes the water is reused um, <clears throat> for the dam uh, for the mine sorry um, so yeah it's it's not an ideal thing to have on a pristine uh, this Tarkine rainforest is is home to many over 60 rare and threatened species, which is including and primarily the Tasmanian, the rare Tasmanian mast owl, uh, Tasmanian devils, the giant freshwater lobster. That's the only place in the world where it is. Uh, Wedge-tailed eagles, um, the spotted-tailed quolls. You don't know whether you know a quoll. They're sort of like a native cat, but a bit different. <laughs> Just one of the strange creatures that we have. Um, so, yeah, it's very, very environmentally um, fragile. And uh, these, you know, these animals, they, they come and drink and bathe in these tailing dams. They don't know any better, do they? Um, and, and the thing is that these tailing dams are very expensive as well. So they're always looking for the cheapest option that they can possibly find to structure it and maintain it. And I, you know, obviously maintained by the company themselves and checked. Um, and they do rely on, you know, the workers, et cetera, putting their hand up when there's a problem. Um, but I know from people that I know that are in that industry that sometimes people don't speak up because of whatever it may be, days off that people I'm don't want to have, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Australia's got very, very good um, safety laws here i know that my son's in the mining industry and you know just last week there was i think they shut it down for about a week or something because some dude had a finger injury um so it meant yeah it meant everyone had to come in do all their inspections lots of paperwork had to be done so yeah it's pretty full-on but um you know that's i can't say that that's the case for every company so anyway this tanya plibersek who's about to basically make the decision about whether this goes ahead or not. She was cruising down there, but she didn't actually end up going to the actual place where the mast owl breeds. 
um, despite Bob Brown inviting her. She ended up having dinner with the mining people <laughs> instead of seeing him. Um, so she didn't actually get to lay her eyes on the actual area. Um, she did sort of go to places around it. Um, so, yeah, that it kind of hangs in the balance. And the point that I guess I'm making is that with all the climate change garbage that's been going on, I think environmentalism has fallen by the wayside a little. Um, personally, I, I'm devastated about the waste and the plastics and the, and the disposal crap that's happened since 2020 with all the unnecessary masks and cloaks and all the stuff they put on. PP, what is it? PPE? PPE gear? Personal protective equipment. That's the stuff. All so unnecessary. We know that. Um, yeah. So that's just, you know, that's really screwed the environment. So th this is the sort of stuff, you know, the, the predator class talk about how much they care about the world and the climate and everything. And yet they're still letting all this stuff go on. This stuff is sort of quietly continuing. We've, we've got the Indian Adani that's still doing their coal mine up in Queensland and that sort of stuff has kind of gone a little quiet and I think people have kind of lumped it all into the same thing like oh they've got the climate and you know they're onto it and they kind of put all this into the same basket whereas now I don't really know like yeah this is what I wanted to sort of bounce off you guys I don't really know what to do because I I have a passion for the environment and but you know, I'm not going to give to charities anymore. Um, since you know we've we've had that discussion, it's just not worth doing. Um, and writing to Parliament or companies really doesn't work. It sounds nice, but it doesn't do anything. So, yeah, uh, I was just going to sort of. Oh, and one other thing that I found out in all this, the term carbon footprint. <laughs> that was actually created by BP. They came up with that. Their marketing people came up with the carbon footprint thing in 2004. Basically, it was to put the um, the onus of the environmental carbon output onto the individual rather than the fossil fuel industry. So that's what that was all about. So it's just it's called greenwashing. So yeah, it's just all such gaslighting. With their, with their terms and their marketing and what they're doing versus what they're saying. And it just oh, really gets up my nose. So I don't know, how can we, what can we still do to sort of protect our planet where it needs to be protected and make a difference without getting caught up in the climate change crap? Um, that's, a, you made a lot of really good points there. I don't know. You know, I kind of thought about this, this in uh, the same way. It's, it's the big companies and it's the predator class that are telling us it's you, you're the polluter, you're the this, you're the that. Meanwhile, they are the ones that protected companies like Dow, who poisoned basically the entire world's water system with forever chemicals. And they they did it and they protected themselves. So that is one of the reasons that, you know, you cannot take these people seriously, or just like in uh, the instance of in Tasmania, that they want to let literal poison hang out in a pool. They don't care. They care about making people think some kind of a way like that. You're 
that gas is bad and lithium batteries are good and things like that. So, um, you know, I don't know. And I thought the same thing, like all these companies, these big companies like Coca-Cola or anybody else that's involved in ESG and, and trying to be, be super woke, right. They care about all these issues yet they're continuing to use plastic bottles. So I'm not saying that, no, I don't know. Maybe there's a better option to plastic, or maybe if there's a free market, maybe we could have like hemp plastic or something like that, that would dissolve in the ocean Oh yeah, or whatever, but they're not doing that because it's, it was never about that to begin with. And I think you're right. So they totally co-opted the movement of caring about the environment. Um, it's not like, I don't care about the environment. It's like, what I think is that you people, you predator class, you are the worst offenders. And you're protecting the people who are the worst offenders because they're your buddies. That's how you have all of your stolen money. It's a big that club. brings me to what I would say, and I know this is a ridiculous concept because it's not going to happen to us, but you'd have to insinuate yourself into high society and befriend and influence those that have lots of money and power in order to say, hey, Here's an idea for a pet project you could do. Why don't you design uh, a containment system for these slag ponds that the mines are using? And the guy said, oh, okay, how much of that? Well, it probably only costs you 10, $20 million. Like, oh, that's fine. You know, you're, you know, uh, you're Elon Musk. That's nothing. That's nothing money. And, I, you know, these something should always consider is that the, these predator class people, these super wealthy, whatever guys, they're just humans, you know, they don't know everything. They've, they've got their mind on whatever rich people think about when they're talking about their yachts and their, their, you know, cocktail luncheons with fundraisers and garbage and crap. They don't, yeah, they don't, well, they don't sit here and have these discussions about the stuff like we do. So I bet if somebody in their tight social circle could, if you're listening, because I know you're all listening to us, these people, <laughs> talk, talk to Elon Musk and say, hey, you know, you could do something here with this. There's a thing you could do. and There is a other technology <laughs> they can use for these tailing dams, actually. But of course, it just costs more to set that sort of thing up. So they just right. do their bare and minimum. I mean, to quote the Chinese-owned MMG, that's the company, it's a copper and zinc mine. It's been there for 85 years. But, um, you know, it says on their website, basically, we're not we're an independent firm. We're not tied to any brokerage firms or commercial banks, etc. Our focus is entirely on optimizing the best terms and conditions for our clients. And that's what it's all about. It's just about the dollar. They're never going to see that forest. To them, it's just some place that doesn't it exists somewhere or other. It's got some trees here, whatever. They just don't yeah. give it a moment's notice because they don't think along those lines. I mean, how many actual caring ecologist billionaires do you know? <laughs> of, uh, not personally, but <laughs> of, you know. I, I don't I can't I think of, of any. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I guess I mean, they, maybe there's there's probably a lot of anonymous type donations that go on that we will never hear about. I'd like to think mm -hmm. so. Um, I just think the whole system is just so corrupt, though. It's too hard to police. You know, most of these things are policing themselves, these industries. So, yeah. 
and then you know my brain goes to well do the mining companies own that land or is it some kind of government owned leased thing and yeah, if that's the case land. you know that's kind of that's kind of crappy but i mean if it's if you have private ownership of nearby land you and if if you had a, a righteous justice system you could there would be a lawsuit there you could prove that they were polluting and killing the wildlife in the area that would affect your land and you could get them to to stop but you know that's just yeah. idealistic nonsense yeah, exactly. you know type dreams I, yeah, I just i hate um... the idea that that land is not owned entirely by private individuals that's the way it should be because mm. then you could you could tease all these things out in in court you, you know industry uh, in, in industry sets up this pollution thing and next door to you yeah you you can get that shut down pretty quick but if it's already existing you don't want to move next door to it so you don't buy the land next to it and uh, i don't know it's it should be able to work itself out naturally i, I just oh, i hate the idea cool. of having to leave it up to the government to try to make these laws that you know broadly capture everybody and force everybody to do these things that are maybe not be effective except for in certain circumstances and the government doesn't know what the hell it's doing you can't leave it up to them yeah, it has to be it's, it's all totally based on the dollar that's all it is about unfortunately they just don't have the compassion that we have and you know i, I own some land down in tasmania and it was right next to we had a river well it was where three rivers met and there was a major river that apparently decades before like about 90 years before we came along it was an actual like deep channel where sailing ships used to go up and whales used to go up and when we bought it it was full of sand so it was all filled in from sand and that was all from the tin mining which was further up the river area so all the sludge for tin mining had come down and filled it up to the point it was filling up the whole bay like st helen's bay and um there was also well there was some government people it's because some people were starting to say what about all the arsenic you know that is a byproduct of tin mining and there was some talk that it was possibly in the water which you know we used to draw from the water to water our vegetables and everything we had a market garden and uh so yeah there was a couple of meetings held with a couple of officials that came along and people stood up and said their thing and then off they went and nothing happened so um we also had an atrazine thing you know as well so but nothing happened with that either um uh. it's just you know they they just do whatever they want they hold their meetings so the, the community feels like they've had their say and they've done something and they just do whatever they want so yeah it's hard to know what to do apart from the only thing that we can do i guess is make better decisions as consumers um i mean let's face it pet plastics are made they rely on the pet that that's all comes down to the fossil fuel industry too because that, that's a petrochemical base isn't it plastics mm -hmm. yeah yep. so they're not going to want to change into some you know environmentally friendly hemp industry thing because there goes that part of the industry you know again based on the dollar hmm. Yeah, and, and more and more, I also think that it is becoming based on more than the dollar, but I think that that was the motivation for a very long time. Like, I think that today you're starting to see at least public-facing companies, you know, you hear the term um, 
go get woke, go broke. And ideally they would because their ideology sucks and they're, they're irrational and they're saying stupid things and, you know, pushing nonsense, um, agendas and, and things like that. But because it has been about the dollar for so long and they have stolen so much of our wealth, then they can afford to make really stupid decisions. Like we're going to go all electric. We're going to be carbon zero or, or whatever you, you know, by this time we're going to have all electric cars or whatever it is because they're being bankrolled on the back end by stolen money. So it, it, I feel like at this point, like so much wealth has been siphoned off of us. I think that now they have almost all of it. So it's now moving into more about, you know, the propaganda, behavior modification, control and money still, but, but that you have these other factors besides just money now. Yeah. Like it's moving into a, a, a next phase type thing. Exactly. In the big plan. Yeah, I'd agree. Exactly. Yep. All right. Well, I think that's a good place for us to stop. Uh, Leave uh, our comments for the people to ponder. Maybe get back to us. Let us know what they think about all of our things here. Uh, Ashley, how can they get a hold of us? Okay, well, I'm glad that you asked, Keel. They can get a hold of us by finding us at unionoftheunknowns.com. This is our website, and it has all the ways that you can get in touch with us. Um, Additionally, you can email us at unionoftheunknowns at gmail.com. You can call and leave a voicemail for us at area code 404-482-3130. Again, that is 404 482-3130. You can leave a friendly voicemail for us, or if you want to leave hate mail for Justin, you can feel free to do that too. And we are also on Twitter at Union Unknowns. And we also have the link to our Discord on our website. And we would love for you to join us on the Discord and participate in some of these conversations. And we would love to hear from you. Great. I love I love the way the phone number starts with a code error. 404. <laughs> yes, that's true. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's a good point. That's, that's uh it's an Atlanta, Georgia number, by the way. Uh, that's yeah. area code. That's why I chose I'm used it. to all American or all American phone numbers starting with 555. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's the Hollywood numbers, isn't it? Yes. It, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's you know, I've never dialed a 555 number. Does anybody know what happens when you do that? I don't know. I think it might be legit in some cases, but maybe we'll have to run an experiment at some point or, um, you know, maybe somebody can, who has done it, can reach out to us and let us know. (laughs) Somebody do an experiment. Hello, Hollywood. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys. Uh, Thanks for joining us. And thank you, Ashley. And thank you, Stella, for all of your insights and articles. We'll see you next time on the Union of the Unknowns presents Not Your Mama's News. Woo-hoo. Thanks, Gales. See Thanks, ya. everybody. Not Your Mama's News has been a production of the Union of the Unknowns podcast. New episodes are available weekly on all your favorite podcasting networks.